0: We will get started this morning. It's great to see everybody. Good morning, Gateway. Good morning to those watching us online. We're so happy you can join us this morning to worship the Lord. Together, we have a good bit of announcements, so I want to get these going. A lot of things happening in the life of our body over the next few weeks. First off, we're having a children's volunteer appreciation lunch After church next Sunday, those that are volunteers with the children already have have gotten the email from Molly, but just a reminder, it's next week, Sunday the 13th. If you have not let her know yet that you are going to attend, please let her know today just for the sake of getting enough food and for us to prepare accordingly. So the children's volunteer lunch next Sunday after church. Also coming up in a couple weeks is our big uh, March family day, Saturday, March 19th. We're going to be at a horse ranch out in Wetumpka. We'll begin the lunch around noon, free hot dog cookout activities all afternoon. We've mentioned it multiple weeks. There's no cost, but we would like you to please register just for the same reason for us to prepare accordingly for food to have enough, all the information and the registrations on our website at gatewaybaptist.com. Also, we're very excited again to be able to host the simulcast for Secret Church, um, on Friday, April 29th at 6 p.m. We've done this for a few years now here in the sanctuary. For those that don't know, David Platt started this over a decade ago. And it's an opportunity. He had the mindset that it's all over the world, there's the persecuted church in different places in the world. And the context is that there's times when they had to gather in secret, they would tra- travel miles and miles, maybe hours at a time, to come together for a time to study the word, to worship. And to risk the possibility of being, you know, arrested or captured. So that's the context of this. So it's six hours of wonderful Bible study. He has a booklet that we will give you uh, to go through. You fill in the blanks. And it's just a focused prayer time and Bible study uh, that we go through from six to midnight. It's just a really wonderful time of prayer and fellowship. We'll have snacks, lots of caffeine, (laughs) I promise, uh, and snacks and stuff to keep us going. So, that registration is also required for that. There's no cost to anybody that's of, uh, connected to Gateway. So, space is limited with the book. So, the website has information on that as well. Kids, you guys excited? VBS is coming this year. We're going to do it like normal. We're very excited. Parents, we want to make you aware of it to mark your calendars. June 13th through the 17th from 9 a.m. to noon. We're very excited about Spark Studios. I just got our DVD in this week, getting to listen to all the songs, getting to see the message that they're going to be putting forth. So we're very excited about that, the 13th through the 17th. And we need workers, adults, teenagers. We need volunteers to help that week. It's a fun time in the life of our church. So talk to Molly Moore if you're interested in helping during that time. Also, we just want to do a reminder about the Ukraine prayer guide that's uh, back there in that corner and out here as you leave. We want to continue to lift that nation up to the Lord um, for God to intervene to bring peace. the Ukraine. Also today we're having communion and I just want to remind everyone that as you see we're going to to do it like we used to do where folks will come down two center aisles, um, rows coming in. If those that need elements, if you don't feel comfortable doing this, they're in the back corner over there and over here and we have some gluten-free options as well if you need that. So a lot going on. We're very grateful to the Lord. Going to have Grady come up briefly to share something regarding our deacon process.
1: Well we're excited, Gateway family, about what the Lord's been doing as we kind of recast the vision for deacon ministry here at the church. If you remember last fall I preached for two different weeks on what are the role of deacons and what are the qualifications for deacons. And we ask you to nominate men who have met our bylaw requirements, who've been members over a year, who you believe met those requirements, and you did. And we met with those guys and over the last month we've did a month-long study with these guys, doing a, a book called What is Deacons? And we went through this study with them and Gave them time to seek the Lord and talk with their wives about what deacon ministry could look like here. And if God was calling them to do that, the guys who finished that. Some of them then felt called to continue to move forward with the process. They had ordination councils where they got examined by a group of men who went deep into their lives and what they believe and how they shepherd their families and their understanding of the local church and discipleship. And we're excited to let you know that all five of the men who did the ordination councils passed the ordination councils. And so the last step now in the process of our new deacon ministry here is the church vote in two weeks. So you see the guys, pictures up here on the screen, but the five guys who are moving forward with deacon nominations are Eric Butterfield. John Glasscock, Kyle Watley, Mike Presley, and Ron Burke. And we are so thrilled. These are men who love Jesus deeply, who love the word of God, and who love the local church and have such a heart to be lead servants in the church. The men who are not just gonna do the ministry, but who are gonna lead in building teams to equip you, the church, to do ministry. And so we're just excited about what God has been doing in our midst. We're going to send you an email tomorrow, church members, about this. I wanted to go and give you a heads up on this. So in two weeks from today, on March 20th, there'll be a ballot vote here in the church service to elect the men you believe are called to be deacons. There's not a limit, so you can elect all five, which I hope you will, but you've got two weeks now to pray and seek the Lord. If you have questions to talk to us, if you have questions or want to get to know these guys, you've got two weeks now to get to know them and ask whatever questions you have. I want to give you a heads up that that vote is coming in two weeks, and we're excited about where God is leading us.
0: Amen. If you please stand, we're gonna read a scripture as we pair our hearts before the Lord to worship Him through singing. This is Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of David. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's worship the Lord this morning. this song last week called uh, Yes and Amen. It was a new song. I just want to formally introduce it this week as we do it again. Hopefully it became familiar. But just a couple um, parts of this song, especially the bridge that I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness that we can rest in the promises of God if we're in Christ. As we read through scripture, through God's word, and we come across these promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. That if we are in Christ, that we are sealed to the day of redemption. That he will take care of us and he provides for those believers in Christ, that when He says it, we can take that—that that it is yes
2: and amen. Let's sing this together. Father of kindness, You have poured out grace, brought me out of darkness you
3: who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Oh, Father, we come to you and confess, uh, just as we were singing about our secrets and God and the sins that are so in us, Lord. look around the world, we see what's happening in Russia and Ukraine and in other areas where there's great suffering. And we just, we, we don't know what to do. We don't understand how it all works. And God, uh, these things are beyond us. So in these moments, we pray that rather than fighting so hard to understand things, that we would humbly come before you. This is the why we pray together for one another, is that we bring these requests to you in full confession that we are not smart enough, strong enough, or capable enough to handle anything, but you are. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We cast these cares on you, wanting your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Lord, we pray for the Montgomery Baptist Associ- Baptist Association, Love Loud Food Bus, and Jeremy Lynch as he seeks to love people well with giving them food, but giving them the bread of life and the gospel Lord strengthen this ministry and provide open doors we pray for pastor Doug McCurry and legacy Anglican church down the street that they also would be strong in the gospel and continuing to share your truth with their people we pray for our president Biden and for his his staff we pray for all of our government leaders Lord that you would grant them humility and wisdom Lord the things that they have to contend with are beyond them as well We pray that they would submit to you and that we would all see that our faith is not in people, but our faith is in you and that we would be encouraged by that. We pray for the Chihuahua people of Mozambique and the water well projects that are going on there. We pray that that would be a vehicle to save lives and to save souls through the gospel. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that you give us to give back to you. Lord, it is all yours. Everything you have given us to steward is yours. We are uh, merely your servants. And so if you call us to give it back to you, we give it with gladness. Lord, give us cheerful hearts. And finally for Grady, as he shares this morning, thank you for the work that he's done to understand your word and to share it with us today. We pray that you would give him your words to speak, that you would give us open ears and open hearts. We lift all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, boys and girls, first to fourth grade, you are dismissed to kids'
1: worship. You've got Rick with you this morning. So, first to fourth graders, head to kids' worship. If you're new to Gateway and your kids are head to kids' worship, once the service is over, if you'll just head to the gym building, the back blue hall, you will pick up your kids and check them out there. you got a fun group this morning. <laughs> Why don't you find Hebrews chapter four in your copy of God's Word? Hebrews chapter four this morning, as we continue this year-long journey. To be more rooted and grounded in what we believe. We come to a several-week emphasis and focus on the topic of prayer. And CJ began that last week for us by showing us what is prayer. And if you remember from last week, CJ showed us that prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. And I love how he helped us see that prayer is God's delight. That God delights it, delights when we pray, that God desires for us to pray. And as we respond to God and his invitation to pray, it takes different forms. We saw last week that it takes the form of praise of worshiping God for who He is. It takes the form of petition and asking and supplication and making our requests to the Lord. It takes the form of confession, of acknowledging our sins before the Lord. It takes the form of thanksgiving as well. And as CJ ended last week, he showed us that this is the normal Christian life. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, it's, he says it's the breath of every Christian. That means, friends, that your life and my life should be marked by much prayer, by responding to God in prayer each and every day as we pour out our hearts to him and talk to him. Now that leads to our next question in the catechism that's guiding us this morning. We come to question number 39. And if we're to pray, the question today is, with what attitude should we pray? CJ showed us last week that we are to be praying and we're to be praying in these different types of prayers. But now the question is, regardless of what type of prayer we're praying, if it's Thanksgiving or confession, if it is just worshiping God for who he is, if it's asking, what's the attitude behind those prayers that we should be making? Now there's a lot of texts in Scripture we could go to to look at this, because there's so many passages in Scripture that tell us to pray, and there's so many passages in Scripture that tell us even the attitude we need to pray with. You can probably think through examples that you know from your own study of God's Word, the passages that tell us to pray with persistence, or to pray with thanksgiving, or to pray with joy, <coughs> excuse me, or to pray trusting in God. We can go through a lot of those, but I want us to focus on one text today, and that's Hebrew chapter 4, because in Hebrews 4, it shows us and summarizes for us the attitudes For which we should pray. And it really gives us two, two foundational attitudes that we need to hold hand in hand as we seek to approach God in prayer. Now, before we read from Hebrews chapter four this morning, just a little background to the text and what we're looking at. The book of Hebrews, as we saw back in September when we looked at two different passages in this book, the book of Hebrews was written in the first century, somewhere before 70 AD. This was an early book in the life of the church. And one of the beautiful parts of this book of Hebrews is it shows us the greatness of Christ. All throughout this book, you see how exalted and magnificent and glorious Christ is. But also, this book calls us to remain faithful to Him. Even when life is hard, even when life is full of suffering, there is a call to be faithful to this one who is the exalted one, the great Christ. But one of the beautiful aspects of Hebrews is it doesn't just tell us to go be faithful to Him, go try harder, just have that white knuckle determination. The book of Hebrews calls us to be faithful but shows us how God's grace enables us to do so. It shows us resources that God in his kindness has given to us so that we can remain faithful to him even when life is hard. In the chapters before where we are today, there's examples in here of how the role of Christian fellowship and the grace gift of one another to help us remain faithful. There's examples in here of in these earlier chapters of the role of the word of God, of scripture and the grace gift of God to us in that. But today, we're focusing on the grace gift of prayer, how God has given us the gift of prayer so that we can remain faithful to him as we walk through this life. Now, with that in view, as you look at these verses this morning, be looking for, with what attitude should we pray? We come to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor, (coughs) excuse me, of the reading of the word of God this morning? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. These are incredible words, friends. Thank you for these words. Thank you for the hope we find in these words. Thank you for the truth we find in these words. And we pray today that you would open our eyes to understand. God, you and your kindness have revealed them to us, and we pray today that the Holy Spirit would illuminate them for us to help us understand these. And, Lord, I pray today for myself and these precious brothers and sisters, and when we leave this place, we would have a greater sense of awe at the invitation you have given to us to talk to you. And we would come away with a greater sense of longing to commune with you in prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So our question of what attitude should we pray, let me go ahead and tell you the answer, and then we will unpack it this morning. Here's what I want you to see from Hebrews 4 this morning. We are to approach God in prayer with both humility and boldness. We are to approach God in prayer with both humility and with boldness. The two attitudes that need to be present in our hearts as we talk to God are these two These two attitudes of humility and boldness together. Now, at first glance, those may seem to be a little bit contradictory, but they're not, friends. They actually go together beautifully, and both are necessary. This means at the outset, friends, we must not approach God humbly and timidly. We're not to be afraid to talk to God. We're not to be afraid to bring our requests before Him. That's not the attitude which He calls us to pray. This also means, friends, we're not to approach God boldly and proudly, telling God what he has to do and claiming that he has to do it our way. That's not the attitude with which we're to pray. There's a balance here. We're to go to God with both humility and with boldness hand in hand. Now, to see that, we need to understand the image that is being presented for us here in Hebrews chapter four. And this key image here, go back to verse 14, is the image of Jesus, our great high priest. Look back at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our Confession. Now, to make sense of the teaching on prayer here, we have to understand what it means by Jesus being our great high priest. Now, we don't have high priest around today, so what in the world is this talking about? We have to go back to the Old Testament, because in the Israel society, the high priest had a very special function. Because once a year, and only once a year, the high priest went into the most sacred place in the temple— before it was a temple, it was a tabernacle that traveled with them. But he would go through a veil, go through a curtain to a place that was called the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place in the temple, the temple, the place where God's presence was most strong. And there on this day of atonement, once a year, the high priest would make a sin sacrifice for the people. You see this a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. Behind the second curtain, this is in the temple, was a second section of the temple that was called the Most Holy And in verse 4, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. And so the priest once a year, the high priest would go into this special place in the temple. And in verse 7, we see why he would go in. If you go a few verses later, but into the second, the second area, only the high priest goes. The other priest didn't go, the general people couldn't go. Only the high priest could go to this most sacred spot. And he but once a year. And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. And so the high priest in Israel's time had a special function of he represented the people to God. Don't miss that, he represented the people to God. We see this in Hebrews chapter five verse one. "For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed. here's what he's set apart to do, to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So the high priest was there to represent the people to God. And that work would foreshadow what Jesus would do as our great high priest. Go back to verse 14 of our text today. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Friends, notice this, we have. If you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, he is your high priest. He is representing you before God. And just as the high priest vanished from the sight of people and went behind the curtain, Jesus has ascended into heaven and is now in the presence with God the Father and God the Spirit. And there he is making intercession for us. He is the sin sacrifice that has made a way for us to boldly approach God and talk to him in prayer. And he himself is praying for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. This is an incredible verse for us. Consequently, he, Jesus, the great high priest, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since... He always lives to make what? To make intercession for them. Friends, do you realize that? That if you are in Christ, Jesus is praying to the Father for you? That he is our great high priest who represents us to the Father. He himself is a sacrifice whose blood covers our sins so that we can stand forgiven. But now he is with the Father interceding, praying prayers for us. And unlike the earthly priest who were so very limited, he is not. He is the great High priest, Not like the earthly priest. He is the great high priest. He's great in his power. He is all-knowing. He is great in his knowledge, his wisdom. He's great in everything. Anything you can think about Christ, he is great in. That means, friends, he knows exactly what you're dealing with. He knows exactly where you are in life. And he knows exactly what you need. And that's exactly where the author of Hebrews goes next. Look at verse 15 here. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Now, just pause right there. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. That means, the flip, we have a high priest who is able to what? To sympathize with us. Christ is able to sympathize with us. Now, this word sympathize literally means to suffer with, to suffer with. It is sympathy, it is compassion that's based on a common experience. Now, when we hear the word sympathize in the South, it's compassion that doesn't really do anything, right? It's the one that goes, well, bless his heart or bless her heart, right? We've kind of relegated sympathy to these kind of like, just little trite expressions of, oh, I'm so sorry or I'm so sad. But when we look at the word sympathy in Scripture, it is always accompanied with action. It is always accompanied with active help. And so sympathy here is to suffer with someone, to actively help someone because you have a common experience With them, so this means this glorious, all powerful, all holy God entered into our experience. He came, He was born a baby, He lived as a man, He walked this earth, He faced temptations, He went through what we went through, and so He can sympathize, He can have compassion that causes Him to run to us and help. And among this common experience, you see here in verse 15 that He Himself face temptation. Go back to verse 15. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus himself faced temptations, faced the temptations that you face, and he experienced it firsthand, but he never once gave into it. Back in Hebrews chapter seven, verse 26, we see a beautiful summary of our great high priest and his character in this. For it is indeed fitting That we should have a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. I mean, how many adjectives can you put in a row to show how holy and pure Christ Himself is? But friends, that reality of His holiness does not make Him inaccessible. Rather, because go back to the beginning of verse 15, if we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, rather Because he's walked the earth, because he has experienced temptation, he understands our weakness. He understands our struggles with sin. He understands our struggles to know what to do. And, friends, that understanding does not cause him to push us away. Rather, it causes him to run to us, inviting us to come talk to him about our sin, inviting us to come talk to him about our struggles, our limitations, our weaknesses and about whatever we need. He understands, he sympathizes, he cares about our weakness, and that does not lead him to push us away. It leads him to run to us and invite us to come talk to him in prayer. And notice the invitation he gives us here. And just let this sink in. Look back here at verse number 16 for us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, this is... Astounding! I actually, I want us to read this out loud together just to let the one of the sink in. So let, let's say this out loud together. If you want to look up on the screen here. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, this is... Absolutely incredible. The great high priest, the great I am himself, the creator of all, the redeemer, the sovereign reigning king, the one who's all glorious, the one who angels fall down before, the one that First Timothy 6 says dwells in unapproachable light, sees you and I in our weakness, and does not push us away, but draws near and invites us to draw near to him in prayer. In verses 15 and 16, there's only one command. There's all these beautiful descriptions of what the high priest has done. But then you come to verse 16, and here's the command for us, the imperative of this. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near. The command of this text for us is to let us draw near. Some translations say let us approach or let us come. The command is for us to talk to God in prayer, to approach him in prayer, in conversation with him. And this command for us to let us draw near is a command in the Greek that is a present tense command. That means let us draw near and keep on drawing near. Let us draw near and come to him as much as we have need. We have a continuously open door invitation to him. And friends, how often do we have need? All the time, right? How often are we weak? All the time, right? So we have an invitation that anytime we're weak, anytime we have needs, we have an open invitation to come talk to God about it. And the author here reminds us of why we should talk to him, because he is the one who is the sovereign king. Look back at verse 16 here. We're told to let us then with confidence draw near. What are we drawing near to? It says to the throne of grace. Now in the Hebrew, throne was used a lot to describe God himself, because he is the sovereign king. He's the ruler of all. So this is an invitation to come talk to God himself. But notice here it's called a throne of grace. Now, some of the scholars say that means it's a throne from which grace comes. Other scholars say, no, no, it's a throne that is characterized by grace. And honestly, friends, I think they're splitting hairs over that. Isn't that basically the same thing? That the throne represents God, and God himself is a God of grace to his people. Now, we want to be clear here. God is also a God of wrath. God's grace doesn't mean everyone gets grace, right? God's grace is his attitude towards his people who've been forgiven by Christ. God is still a God who's wholly wrathful against sin, but God is a God of grace towards his people, and his throne of grace means that his people can approach his throne from which grace comes and which is characterized by grace to them. One of the authors I was reading this week said it so well. He said, Through Jesus, we have come to know that the throne of majesty is also a throne of grace. I thought that was so good. The throne of majesty is also a throne of grace. This author continues, It is a place of welcome, not of rebuff. It's a place where mercy and grace are freely available. Through the high priest. Whereas if you think about it, when God gives us this invitation to come talk to him in prayer, to approach his throne of grace, notice how he responds when we do that. Go back to verse 16 here. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That when we run to God in prayer, we find from God, from his throne, both mercy and and grace, mercy, forgiveness of sins. As he gives us, he does not give us what we deserve. He withholds the punishment we deserve. He gives us mercy. But then he gives us grace. He gives us blessing after blessing that we do not deserve. He meets our needs. And isn't that what scripture teaches us? I love how it says in Lamentations chapter three, verse 22 and 23. This is a great text to memorize and meditate on. But the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases, friends. His mercies, they never come to an end. Then verse 23, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. That God's mercies are new for his people day after day. That there's not going to be a time that God looks at us and then like, I have given you so much mercy, I am really tired of you asking, would you please stop. He's not like us who gets tired of doing things. He, every day, pours out his mercies on us, his People. Likewise, he delights in giving us grace. John chapter 1, verse 16. If you've been around Gateway, you know this verse because it's one of my favorite in all of Scripture. And from his Christ's fullness, we have all received what? grace upon grace that there is no end to his grace again god is not up in heaven being like you are such a needy person i am so tired of having to give you grace to help he doesn't do that because he's unchanging he delights in pouring out new mercies everyone he delights in giving us the grace we need as we run to him saying lord i am weak and he's like yes i know you're weak and i'm going to delight in giving you mercy and grace to help you in your time of need now, go back to verse 16 here for us here. Notice this. We're told to, with confidence draw near the throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace to help, and notice this, in our time of need. Now, more literally, what this says, it is, is mercy and grace for a well-timed help. It's for a well-timed help. that He delights in giving mercy, delights in giving grace for a well-timed help. Some of you read out of the, the Christian Standard Bible, the HCSB translation, and they translate this to help us at the proper time. For this is a great reminder for us that the mercy and grace he gives us are exactly what we need at his perfect timing. Now, the clarification for us says it may not be our timing, right? The perfect timing he gives us may not be the timeline we want. It may not even be the mercy we want or the grace we want, but he gives us from his perfect wisdom the mercy and grace we need for a well-timed help. So with all that in view, let's look at 15 and 16 together and just look at how this flows thinking about all that. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, they may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, what do we do with that truth, friend? How does that truth that we've just been unpacking about the high priest and his sympathy and his compassion and this invitation? How does that shape our attitude when we pray? That truth should develop in us two things. Number one. It should help develop within us humility as we approach God. It should help develop within us humility. How so? I think there's two truths in here that foster humility in our hearts as we pray. Number one, this shows us our utter sinfulness and unworthiness. When we look at this text, it reminds us of our utter sinfulness and our unworthiness. Go back to verse 15. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The clear implication here is being he is sinless because he never gave to temptation, but you and I give the temptation every day and we are full of sin. Verse 15 is showing us that we are a people full of sin, a people who are prone to fall the temptation, a people who are full of weakness. And from that truth reminds us that we are unworthy on our own to walk before God. Just like in the Old Testament, people couldn't just go run into the holy of holies or they would be struck dead. We cannot come to God on our own because we are full of sin and rebellion and idolatry. But Christ died to pay that penalty so we could approach God, not with our own righteousness, but covered in his. And so we come to him in prayer with a posture of humility, realizing that we have no right to be there apart from the mercy of Christ. But this this text we read today helps develop humility a second way because it shows us God's absolute sovereignty it shows us God's absolute sovereignty. Sovereignty is a word we use to describe his absolute rule over all things. That God is on the throne, ruling and reigning over all of his creation. There's nothing outside the control of God. There's nothing that can happen apart from God's hand. That God is absolutely the sovereign ruler. Go back to verse 16. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne. The throne of the sovereign ruler. It's such a reminder to us that God is on the throne, that you and I are not on the throne that God is king, we are not king, that God is all-wise, we are not all-wise, God is all-powerful, we are not all-powerful, and God is all-good, and we are far from being all-good. And so we approach God with humility, not telling him how to run his universe, but in humility making our requests before him, trusting him that he is sovereign, and he will do what is right, he will give us the grace we need for that well-timed help because of his plans. And so as we think about this text here, it reminds us of our own unworthiness, and it reminds us of his sovereignty. And those two things help us come from a position of humility as we approach him in prayer. But, like I said at the beginning, friends, that humility should not lead to timidity. There shouldn't be a timidness about us approaching God. In fact, it should produce quite the opposite. It should also produce so it's not just humility, but also alongside that boldness as we talk to God. Get back to verse 16, because the second thing that this, the second attitude that this truth should develop within us is boldness. In our prayers, look at verse 16. Let us then, now let's just stop right there. This word then is really not a good translation because the Greek word here is the word consequently. It is showing the strong connection that because we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, because Jesus is our high priest who sympathizes with us, because he's inviting us to come, because of all of this, it leads us now to now draw near With confidence, consequently, because of what Christ has done, not because of what we had done, we can now be confident as we approach him. This word confidence in the Greek means free and open speech, that we can, with free and open speech, talk to God, approach his throne with freedom and openness in talking to him. One of the commentators said it could probably be translated that we are to draw near with a bold frankness. That was a good way to do it. We can approach God with a bold, frankness. That means we don't have to use the right words. We don't have to be timid with our words. We don't have to be afraid. Do we say this the right way or not say this the right way? We can go to God with free and open speech, with a bold, frankness, and we can freely talk to him. One of the authors I read said it so well. He said, your stumbling prayers are not criticized. They're received with kindness. Because We don't have to get hung up on our words. He doesn't rebuke us because our prayers aren't perfectly constructed. They're received with Kindness. And the fact that we can freely talk to God means that we can ask him to do big things. We can come to him with boldness, with confidence, with free and boldness, asking him to do big things. Knowing what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. This is a beautiful reminder for us in Ephesians 3.20. We got out there for you. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or that we think, according to the power that is at work within us. In verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's go back to verse 20. Look at this again at the beginning of this text. He is able to do far more abundantly. Paul's being so clear here. Like, you think God can do things, but he can do far more than we even realize he can do. This is the one who spoke and the universe came into being. He is the one who can speak and the dead come to life. He can speak in calm nature. He can, at the sound of his voice, create Everything. The one who is all powerful can do far more abundantly than all that we ask and all that we think. And so, with that truth in mind, we can with confidence go before his throne of grace, before the sovereign ruler, and bring our requests before him. We can be bold in asking him to forgive us for our sins. We can be bold in asking him to provide. We can be bold in asking him to do what seems to us impossible. Verse 16. Let us then with Confidence with frank, with bold frankness, with free and open speech, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of all that together, friends. We approach God in prayer with both humility and with boldness. We come in humility, recognizing His supreme worth, His supreme greatness, His worthiness, His sovereignty, and our unworthiness. We come to realize we can only be there because of. Christ, But we come to Him boldly, knowing that when the Father sees us, He sees Jesus' righteousness. So we can come boldly before Him to talk to Him, knowing that Jesus is already praying for us. And we can make big prayers before God also. So friends, we pray big prayers to God, trusting His sovereign goodness to do what is right. We can go to God with boldness and humility, praying big prayers. But from a posture of humility, we're ultimately trusting Him with the results to do what is right. So I'm gonna ask you two questions this morning, friends. Are you approaching God with humility and boldness? When you look at how you pray each day, are you praying as a person who's coming before God with both humility and with boldness? Let me ask the second question, kind of the same question in a different way. Are you praying big prayers to God, trusting Him with the results? Are you praying big prayers to God, trusting Him with the results? Now, for for some of us, we need the Holy Spirit to give us a little boost in our boldness. We become timid in our prayers. There's things we've given up praying or things we're going, yeah, that seems impossible or that person is too far gone. We need the Holy Spirit to remind us we have an invitation to draw near with confidence. And we need the Holy Spirit to boost our boldness as we pray, knowing that God can do far more abundantly than we ask or imagine. But for some of us, perhaps we need the Holy Spirit to boost our humility. Because our prayers have become too demanding of God and too impatient as we're wanting things to be done our way, not his. And so we need the call to pray with humility. And friends, I think for all of us, we need the reminder of this invitation that we can approach God with humility and with boldness, praying big prayers and trusting him with the results. Because as we think about that as fitting this morning For us to end with remembering how this is even possible, how you and I can walk into the room, the throne room of grace and not be struck dead because of our sins. To realize how this invitation is even possible, how we can be forgiven. I want you to see Hebrews chapter 10 verses 14 and 19 because I want us to end this morning as we think about this invitation by celebrating communion together. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, for by a single offering, it's referring to what Christ has done. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, verse 16, this is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Just pause there for a minute before we keep going. Because of what Christ has done, when God looks at us, he says, I remember their sins no more. I remember their lawless deeds no more. Friends, you and I are full of sin. We are full of idolatry. We are full of rebellion. But because of what Christ has done, because of the sacrifice he made, we don't have to make sacrifices anymore. He has been the final sacrifice, and because of what he did on that cross, our sins and lost deeds are remembered no more. Now, verse 18, look at how it continues. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Now, verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And we're going to stop there. There's so much more riches in this chapter, but just stop there for this morning. That because of the blood of Jesus, we can have confidence to enter the holy place. Friends, this morning, as we think about this incredible invitation, we have to humbly and boldly come before God. Friends, it is only possible because of the blood of Jesus. We are unworthy. We are full of sin, but Christ has made a way for us. He was born of a virgin He lived a perfect life. He obeyed the law that you and I break every single day. And he obeyed the law perfectly so he could go to the cross and be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. To take the wrath of God that should have been put on us, he took himself. Because, friends, a holy God cannot wink at sin. A holy God cannot overlook sin. A holy God can't be like, yeah, I like that person. He'll be okay. She'll be okay. Every sin will be punished. Either it will take us in eternity to bear the punishment against our infinite number of offenses against God or Christ in a moment on the cross bears. But God overlooks no sin. Every sin is punished. And for those who are in Christ, when Christ died on the cross, all of our sins got placed on him. So when he cries out, it is finished. Every sin of ours has been forgiven. But even more so, all of Jesus' righteousness got put on us. So when the Father sees us, he doesn't see us in all of our mess and our sin, he sees Christ. So we can walk boldly into that throne room of grace to have that confidence we need to approach him. Look at, Let's put back verse 19 one more time up on the screen here. Therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter into the holy places because of or by through the blood of of Jesus. And so we want to celebrate that this morning. We're going to celebrate communion in just a minute. When we break the bread, it reminds us that Christ's body was broken on the cruel Roman cross. As he endured agony that we can't even fathom, he was taking the punishment you and I deserved. And we take the juice, it reminds us that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. It says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we take the juice, we're reminded that Christ shed his blood so you and I could be forgiven as such friends what we're about to do is only for followers of christ if you are not a follower of christ if you do not know for sure that you belong to god that you stand forgiven that you're a child of god not because of you but because of his grace then during this time we'd ask you just to remain where you're seated no one's going to come harass you or bother you i promise you that just remain where you're seated and if you don't believe this or think we're crazy for this just why don't you use this time and just be honest with god about it if you don't believe there's a god why don't you just pray and say god i don't believe you're there but if you're real show yourself to me see what happens. But for those who are in Christ, we want to invite you, if you know you're a follower of Christ, you are welcome to come celebrate with us this morning and to remember Christ's sacrifice. Now, in just a minute, we're going to instruct you how to come forward to receive the elements. While you're waiting to come forward, or even when you have the elements, there is no rush. We want you to take time to reflect, to remember and meditate about Christ's sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. But in addition this morning, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and ask him Am I praying big prayers to God, trusting in his sovereignty? Because some, for some of us, again, the Holy Spirit need to give us a boost in our boldness, and for some, he may need to give us a boost in our humility, and for some, he may need to give us a boost in both, right? And let's use this time of reflection as we think about Christ's sacrifice to ask the Holy Spirit to grow us in these ways, to grow us in talking to God and communing with him in prayer. Now, just a few quick instructions, then I'm going to pray, and then we'll come forward. As you come forward, CJ and two other brothers are going to be instructing you. We're going to ask you to, CJ, just follow their lead of when to come forward. The middle sections will come down the middle aisle, forming two lines. The side sections, you'll actually go out the sides and back to come back around. We'll keep two lines coming down so we can move you on through here to get to the communion and get the elements. For those who don't feel comfortable coming forward, um, there are elements available pre-packaged and sealed in the back. And for those who have dietary needs, there's gluten-free elements here and in the back of the room. We want you to be able to take this time to reflect and remember the sacrifice of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father God, we are so thankful that you have made a way for us to approach your throne of grace, or to realize that we don't deserve that, that we have nothing but sin in our lives. We bring nothing to the table but our sin and our rebellion. But Lord Jesus, you have made a way. You have forgiven us when you died on the cross. You made a way for us to be forgiven, for us to receive your grace. And so I pray today for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we would treasure this. That God, as we think about the cost of our sacri- of your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, that it would lead our hearts to a place of worship. It would lead our hearts to a place of awe and wonder today. And we ask Holy Spirit that you would search our hearts this morning. If there's places we've been too timid in our prayers, that you would convict us of that this morning, remembering that we have access to God the Father because of what Christ has done. If there's places we've been too proud in our prayers We've lacked humility. Would you convict us of that this morning? Would you today, even as we celebrate communion and reflect on Christ's sacrifice, would you today grow each one of us in understanding how to respond to your invitation to with confidence draw near to your throne of grace? Lord, we praise you do this, that you would sanctify us as your people, that you would grow us, that you would be maturing us and shaping us in the people you desire us to be. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.
2: He hold the lamb who bears our seed
1: follow in the steps of Christ, and we pray this week that you would give us the grace we need to pray big prayers, Lord, to the God who can do far more abundantly than we ask or imagine. Lord, help us not be timid in our praying this week. Lord, help us also not be proud this week. Let us come before you in humility as we make our requests, trusting that you, the sovereign king, will accomplish your good and perfect purpose. So grow us in that this week. We ask for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday.